0: ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so carrying on then with the chapter we started last week, Bab maja'a fitta gleev, fee man abadallaha in the qabri rajal in Salih, fa keifa iza abadah. And we were on the narration where it mentioned, Lamma nazala bi Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tafiqa yatrahu khamisa lahu ala wajhihi. فَقَالْ وَهُوَ كَذَٰلِكْ لَعْنَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْيَهُودِ وَالنَّصَارَىٰ اتَّخَذُوا قُبُورَ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ مَسَاجِدْ يُحَذِّرُ مَا صَنَعُوا وَلَوْ ذَٰلِكَ أُبْرِزَ قَبْرُهِ غَيْرُ أَنَّهُ خُشِيَ أَنْ يُتَّخَذَ مَسْجِدًا In this narration it had mentioned that when the Prophet ﷺ was in his final illness, that he had a cloth which he was putting to his face and then removing it from the pain of that final illness. And during that time, he mentioned, لَعْنَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْيَهُودِ وَالنَّصَارَىٰ اتَّخَذُوا قُبُورَ أَنْبِيَائِهِمَّ masajid." The curse of Allah be upon the Jews and the Christians. They took the graves of their prophets as places of worship. As we mentioned last time, the background to the hadith is important. When the Prophet ﷺ said this, he said it when he was in that illness prior to his death. He was in that difficult time, he was in that pain, he was in those moments. And yet this is what he was advising the Ummah with. This is what he was advising the Ummah with, warning them against shirk. And so he said at that time, the curse of Allah be upon the Jews and the Christians. They took the graves of their prophets as places of worship. The curse of Allah, the La'natullah, we've come across that before in other parts. The La'na, what does it mean? What does it mean, the curse of Allah be upon such and such? It is that the person be... removed and distanced from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-la'na, hiya tard, wal-iba'ad, min rahmatillah. It is to be expelled and distanced and removed from the mercy of Allah. And who are the people who were mentioned as being under the curse of Allah here? The Jews, Al-Ummah Al-Maghdoob Alayha The Nation Whom Allah's Anger Is Upon nasara al And the Christians, The Misguided Nation The Nation Whom Allah's Anger Is Upon And The Nation Who are Misguided And That's Because The Scholars They Say The Jews, they were upon knowledge or ignorance, knowledge. Knowledge. They were upon knowledge and they had those previous revelations and they knew, yet despite having knowledge and knowing, they refused to worship Allah. So they were the ones whom Allah's Anger is upon. And as for the Christians, did they have knowledge or ignorance? Ignorance. And upon their ignorance, they attempted to worship Allah and they went astray with all of their different forms of worship and hymns and whatever they do. All of that misguidance attempting to worship without knowledge. So they were the misguided nation. And so those two, the Messenger mentioned them. And be aware, as the scholars, they say, in Al-Fatiha, when you recite, Ihdina al-mustaqim, sirat al mustaqim sirat al ladina alayhim, alayhim but guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have blessed, and keep us safe from the path of those whom your anger is upon and who were misguided or went astray. The meaning and the tafsir of that section of Al-Fatiha primarily, then of course, specifically, it refers to the Jews and the Christians. However, as the scholars have mentioned, and you should be aware, that it is not restricted to the Jews and the Christians. Rather the characteristics are given consideration. So the characteristic of the Jews was, they have knowledge but do not act upon that knowledge. And so every Muslim who has knowledge but does not act upon that knowledge has the same characteristic. And that is something to fear and to be warned of. And likewise, the Christians, they attempted to worship, to do the action, but without knowledge. So every Muslim who attempts to worship upon jahil and ignorance without implementing the sunnah has the same <laughs> characteristic. So they are to be avoided those characteristics. Those characteristics a Muslim may have something of them in him and that's the same as hypocrisy, the hypocrites. From the characteristics of the hypocrites is that when they speak they lie. When they speak they lie, for example. But that doesn't mean that this characteristic is restricted to the hypocrites. Perhaps a Muslim when he speaks he lies and when he makes a promise he Breaks it, these kinds of characteristics that are mentioned about the hypocrites Then it should not be thought that they are only for the hypocrites Perhaps a Muslim may end up in weakness and fall into those characteristics And so a person has to be warned and precautious And take caution from those evil types of characteristics So here the Prophet mentioned the Jews and the Christians, and he mentioned that they took the graves of their prophets as places of worship. اتخذوا قبور انبيائهم مساجد يعني أمكنا للعبادة يصلون عندها ويدعون الله عندها ظنًا منهم an al ibada 'inda al qubur afdal min al ibada fi al amkinat al ukhra ma'a an al ibada 'inda al qubur la tajuz li annaha wasila so they used to take the places where the righteous and the prophets were buried as places of worship believing that worshipping there and calling upon Allah there would be better and superior than worshipping Allah and making dua to Allah in other locations separate from the graves. They believed the graves of their righteous and their prophets. That's where the superiority was in your worship and in your dua. Despite the fact That we know, in fact, that worshipping at the graves and making dua there and using those as your places of worship, as your temple, as your mosque above it, all of that is actually haram and a door to shirk and shirk itself. So this is the issue that they fell into. They actually committed shirk. By building those places of worship on top of the graves And then worshipping there And they fell into and opened up that door to shirk قَالَتْ aisha رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا يُحَذِّرُ مَا صنعوا That the reason why the Messenger was mentioning this Was to warn us against what they had done To warn us against what they had done اي ان الذي حمل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم على ان يقول هذه الكلمه في هذه Ru الحرجه انه يحذر امته مما صنع اليهود والنصارى that the reason why the messenger made the point of saying this even at that difficult time, he was in pain moving his cloth to his face and then removing it unto his face from the pain that he was in. Yet he gave this advice in order to warn this Ummah, to warn the Muslims against falling into the same action that they had fallen into, the Jews and the Christians. لِأَلَّا بِقَبْرِ نَبِيِّهِمْ مَا فَعَلَ الْيَهُودُ مَعَ قُبُورِ So that the Muslims would not do with the grave of their Prophet what the Jews and the Christians did with the graves of their Prophets. Meaning so that the Muslims would not build any shrine or any other type of place of worship around the grave and at the grave of the Prophet وسلم. فَالَّذِي حَمَلَهُ عَلَى هَذَا تَحْذِيرُ هَذِهِ تَعْمَلَ هَذَا So it was that warning that he wanted to give this Ummah, that they do not fall into the same error that the Jews and the Christians fell into. فَلَا تُتَّخَذْ الْقُبُورُ مَسَاجِدِ So that the mosques, they are not taken as graves, that the mosques are not taken as places of worship, سواء بُنِيَ عَلَيْهَا أَوْ لَمْ يُبْنَى عَلَيْهَا Whether, and it's not a condition, whether anything is physically built upon those graves, an actual shrine is made or it's not made, the point is that they are conducting worship there, and that is the prohibition. Whether anything is physically built there or not, إِذَا بُنِيَ عَلَيْهَا فَالْأَمْرُ أَشَدْ وَإِذَا لَمْ يبنى عَلَيْهَا وَصُلِّيَ عِنْدَهَا ودعا عِنْدَهَا فَكَذَلِكْ هَذَا مِنْ اِتْخَاذِهَا مَسَاجِدْ كَمَا يَأْتِي So even if nothing is physically built on top of that grave, no actual shrine is built, but if they go and worship there and pray there and make dua there, then that falls into the same narration as taking the graves, as places of worship. And was it not for this fear that his grave may be taken as a place of worship, then certainly his grave would have become or would have been made open and apparent and visible to everybody, but from the fear that it would be taken as a place of worship, then it was concealed, and we discussed that briefly last time. And that is something which is clear to understand. It is clear to understand if the grave was public, public and open and available, what the people would do. Even now with all of the walls built, and the security guards outside of that wall, outside the mosque, as soon as you come out of the door, you still see the people, what they are doing, still facing the grave and making dua, pointing to the grave and making dua. And some of them, they know it's not correct. They know they're not supposed to be doing it. So they are doing it. And then when they see, as they say, the mutawwa, when they see a person with a beard and everything and dressed properly coming their direction, Then they start doing this kind of thing. I've seen it with my own eyes. When I'm walking past, sometimes when we used to be there at the university, the students, they used to go and uh, you could... uh, 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 They used to have official jobs for students to work at the grave and to make sure that no shirk is occurring, no people are prostrating, wiping, not doing anything like that, to stop the people from those affairs. And then some students used to go there just voluntarily without the official position and the badge, voluntarily. So on occasions we used to go there voluntarily with the other brothers and students. And you used to see them. People stood there facing towards the grave, making dua as soon as they see you coming. As soon as they see you walking towards them, then they just uh, start pretending they were just holding their hands or something like this. And then as, as you walk past, then they come out again like this. So these kinds of affairs would be blatant. And you've seen, as the scholars, they mentioned, there's practically not a Muslim, Muslim country on the face of the earth, with the exception of Saudi Arabia, except that they have within it tombs and shrines somewhere. All of the places, all of the countries, tombs and shrines, they exist only in Saudi Arabia, alhamdulillah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Decreed for that to be wiped out there. And we're gonna get to the narration where the messenger sent the companions to go and flatten the graves, where people had built anything on top of the graves, then to go and flatten those and make them flat to the ground. And we'll get to that, insha'Allah. So it mentions here then the Prophet was buried within the home of Aisha radiallahu anha. Where he died. So, the first thing that we learn here then is the impermissibility of building on top of graves. Because that then opens the door to shirk occurring. The question then is, when you bury someone Islamically, what are you allowed to do? So what are you allowed to do? How should that burial occur? What should be that burial site? All of these headstones that people make now, these headstones in the loving memory of our father, our this, our that, just like the kuffar they do, all of those in memory of born this year, died this year, our father, grandfather, in our memories forever. Or in the Muslim areas, you see them, they build the graves, the, the, the grave, the the tombstone, the headstones. They build those headstones and they put them there. That's impermissible. It is impermissible to build these headstones uh, uh, on top of the graves and then in memory of and our father and this year and that year and all those details And this huge headstone, that's impermissible, that is not an Islamic practice. And you know that's not an Islamic practice, when you go to the Muslim sections of the graveyards here, look to the kafir section and what's the difference? Do you see any difference? You don't see the difference, the tombstones, the headstones, (coughs) the way they are there, that's the way they are here. In fact, the reality is, Allah musta'an, that in some places you will see. And in the Muslim sides, they take more care of doing that than in some of the Christian or the, or the non-Muslim sides. So it is impermissible to put these big headstones and any type of building work. Sometimes they have like stones going all around the side of that grave and maybe comes up a foot off the ground to make it a little thing. All of that type of construction around the grave is impermissible. All you're supposed to do, it's like when you see the pictures of Al-Baqiyah Next to al-Masjid al-Nabu, you see the picture sometimes, you can see it online, Google al-Baqiyah. See how the graves look. You have the soil slightly bumped up from where it's being put back after they buried someone. There's a slight bump to it off the flat surface of the ground. And then there will be a rock or a stone to highlight that this is indeed a grave here. Because otherwise then people may walk and go above and below and it's not Good to do that, there's no honor then for the deceased. So you can have a rock or some type of small thing to the size of a hand span, a hand span size rock or something small there to identify that this is a grave. And they say, uh, one of the used to mention that in Kuwait, for those who have been there perhaps and you've seen it, they have a small, uh, a small rock size of a phone or something just bigger, and they have like a number on it. And that number recognizes or identifies whose grave it is and that's it. No names, no nothing, just a small rock, a small slab, barely the size of a phone where the head of the grave is with a number on it. So you know who this is and who that is from your relatives or when you want to go visit, for example. So a small rock or a small slab at the head of the grave is permissible Beyond that, building these tombstones or these uh, headstones and any other type of thing around it is impermissible. And what about all of these flowers and flowers and flowers that you see? Is that permissible or not? No. Going and putting garlands and flowers around the graves. There is no sunnah to do that. People do it. To a degree because some people think it's actually a sunnah to go put green leaves and things on the graves, because of the hadith where the Prophet placed green leaves onto the grave, and he said that I hope their punishment will be lessened or lightened as long as these leaves remain moist. Obviously, when you take the leaves off the tree, eventually they'll dry up and die, but not straight away, a day, two days, a while. So those leaves were put onto the grave, and he said that, I hope their punishment will be lightened as long as these leaves remain moist. So now the people, based off that narration, authentic narration, they also believe you should go and put green leaves or large types of plants on the grave, and as long as they remain green then the punishment is lightened or removed from the one who is buried. The reality is this is a misunderstanding amongst people. It is not a sunnah to do that. But how can we say it is not a sunnah to do that if the messenger did it and he did? Because he didn't say it to do it. Because he didn't say it to do it, to us to do it. He didn't tell us to do it, but that's not necessary. Sometimes the messenger can do something Without saying it, and we can still follow that as a sunnah. Because sunnah can be what he says and what he does. So they could say, okay, he didn't tell us, you do it as well, but he did it, and we can follow his actions, they will say. Sahaba didn't do it, but we're telling you the messenger did it. Indication that they understood that that was a one off and not a practice for the Muslims. So that's one of the points. And there's a few points. That narration was about the two men, where the messenger mentioned about their evils and that uh, you know the the namima carrying the tails and the one who didn't look after himself when urinating. And he said, "In Nahuma la yuzaban, wama yuzabani fi kibir. Amma ahduhu ma fakan yimsh bil namima, wa amma al-akhf fakan la yastanzhu min al-boul. Waini riwaya fakan la istetur min al-boul." That these two are being punished not for something big as they thought meaning the actions that they did, they didn't think it was a big thing, but they are being punished in the grave for it. One of them because he used to spread namima carry tales between people to cause corruption, and the other one because he never used to look after himself when urinating. So the messenger affirmed they were being punished. That was known to him from the inspiration from the revelation. It was known to him they are being punished. For a start, that's the first point you're gonna go put leaves onto the graves of people you don't even know if they are being punished. Perhaps they are in the naim of the Qabr. Perhaps they are in the bliss of the grave. Who has told you that they are being punished in the first place that you need to go put the leaves down? The Messenger knew that those two individuals were indeed being punished. Then on top of that is the other evidence that this is not a sunnah to be implemented and followed. If it was, and it's a big one, to reduce the punishment or remove the punishment of a person in the grave, that's a big thing. Would not everybody wish that for their beloved? And yet the companions, when their beloved ones died, they never did that. In fact, the messenger, his own children, all of them died during his lifetime except one. All of his children, he lost them during his lifetime, except one. Yet did he go and put the leaves or anything on top of their graves? The companions, when they lost their wives, their children, their husbands, did they used to go put the leaves on top of their graves? Never. It was never a practice that was done. And this is a big thing, like we said, for your beloved and them being punished in the grave, and you want to remove that from them. The companions would have been the first of the people to go and implement that sunnah. So it is known from these kinds of evidences that this action was an action specific to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi The rule is normally the actions are open to all of the ummah, except when you have evidence indicating they are specific. Here we have some evidence. For a start, we have no way of knowing If somebody is being punished in the first place the messenger did that makes it something very specific on top of that it isn't a sunnah to be implemented and followed if it was the companions certainly with their beloved ones would have been the first to implement that knowing how much they knew about the affairs of the barzakh and the punishment and all the knowledge they had and they knew about the punishment of the grave and the bliss of the grave also but based upon all of that, they would have been the first of the people to make sure that their beloved ones are safe from the punishment of the grave. And yet they did not do it. So this was an action specific to the messenger. It is not a sunnah to go put green leaves and green plants on top of the graves and as for all of the flowers that people put on. Again, the scholars have mentioned, Shaykh ul I believe, that it is a waste of your money you are wasting your money on sentiment, on emotion, going and refreshing those flowers, and those flowers, you go and buy them every time, five pounds, ten pounds, twenty pounds, fifty pounds, you're spending all of that money buying the flowers to go put them on the grave, and refresh them every now and again, and that brings no benefit to the one in the grave, does the one in the grave benefit if you beautify their grave on top? with flowers and everything from your sentiment and emotion for your beloved, do they benefit from that in any way? No. Nothing. The money you've spent on those flowers, eventually after a week or two weeks, they disappear. You have to go get new ones. That £50 of yours, £10, 20 £30, did you benefit anything other than your sentiment and emotion? No. Nothing. No. The scholars, they say, you wasted your money. It would be better for you. Instead of going and buying flowers every two weeks or every month or on uh, uh, Eid, it would be better for you that you give that money in charity on behalf of the deceased. It is your father, it is your mother, it is your relative. That money you're going to waste on flowers. Give that money instead in charity on behalf of the deceased. That's permissible to give charity on behalf of a deceased individual. Give that £20, £30 every month, every two weeks you're going to spend on those flowers. Give it in charity instead And the one in the grave does benefit from that act of yours now. Benefits from that wealth of yours that you're spending now. You benefit from it too because you are also rewarded for doing that. Rewarded for uh, that good action of yours and giving in charity on behalf of the deceased. That is better than wasting the money on flowers and putting them on the grave for emotional uh, you know, your emotion and your sentiment and your Your love for this person believing this gives you comfort. It gives you more comfort if you implement the sunnah. Does it not give you more comfort that the 30 pounds you spend it in charity on behalf of the deceased and they will reap or they will uh, receive the reward of that? Isn't that more comfort for you? That you're getting reward for the deceased? That is better. But the people, they allow their emotion to overcome them. And a person should not let their emotion overcome them when it comes to worship. The scholars have spoken about al-istihsan. You do not worship Allah upon istihsan, meaning what you think is good. You think this is a good action. You think that is a good action. The good actions are the ones we've been taught and they've been revealed and we've been commanded with them in the sunnah. So here... The Prophet warned against that. So the first point of benefit here is the impermissibility of building anything on top of the graves, because that leads to shirk occurring. So the Shaykh mentions whether you build something, you put cloth over it, you put other types of decorations on it, all of that type of thing is impermissible on top of the graves. And the Shaykh says, Haqadhaqana. الله الله and this is how the grave of the messenger was And how the graves of the companions were Their graves were not built And any structures made around them And brickwork and cement and headstones Nothing Their graves were simple like that with nothing on it down in the ground, no building around it, no headstone on it, no flowers on them. Their graves were simple burials into the ground, as was the Prophet. ﷺ. The second thing we benefit from this is the obvious impermissibility of worshipping at the graves. Al Mas'alatu thaniya, Dalilun ala al Ibadah, عند al Qabr. حتى ولو لم يبنى عليه بنية ولا بدعاء لا بصلاة لا بذبح لا بالنض لا بغير ذلك وإنما هدي الإسلام أن القبور تزار من أجل السلام على الأموات والدعاء لهم والرحمة والتعاظ الزائر بأحوال الموتى هذا هو هدي الإسلام في القبور. So it is impermissible to worship at the graves. Even if nothing has been built on top of it, that's not a condition. It doesn't have to be a tomb or a shrine. Any grave, even flat in the ground upon the sunnah method, you cannot go and worship there at the grave. Rather the guidance, and you cannot make dua there or pray there or sacrifice there or make vows there. You do not go and do any acts of worship at the grave like that. Rather the guidance of the sunnah of the of Islam, is that you visit the graves in order to give salam upon those deceased individuals, to give salam upon those deceased from the Muslims, and to make dua for them, not dua to them, you make dua to Allah, asking Allah to forgive them, and asking Allah to have mercy on them. So you can give salam upon those deceased and you make dua and supplicate to Allah to have mercy upon them and to have forgiveness upon them. And it is a means of remembering death. A means of remembering death when you go to the graveyards. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, كُنْتُ قَدْ نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْ زِيَارَةِ الْقُبُورِ that initially in the early stages of Islam, the messenger had forbidden them from going to the graveyards in the early stages of Islam to completely shut the door to any possibility of shirk because they were all new coming into Islam. So in the early stages to close the biggest door to shirk, which was the graves and the graveyards historically, the messenger initially forbade them from going to the graveyards. But then he said to them That now After initially having forbidden it After time went by And they became strong in their aqeedah etc He said فَزُورُوهَ Visit the graveyards now فَإِنَّهَا تُذَكِّرُكُمُ الْآخِرَةِ Because it reminds you of the afterlife Visiting the graveyards reminds you of the afterlife So it is permissible now to go and visit the graveyards to give salam upon the deceased to ask Allah to forgive them and have mercy upon them and as a means of Recollection and remembrance of the afterlife There is of course some fiqh involved with that particularly in regards to the women So is it permissible for women to do that to go to the graveyards for the sake of remembrance and all these things that we said no, completely. Women cannot go to the graveyard. Huh? As I heard in hadith, yeah, they therefore, women. Okay, so it is permissible but not frequent, not because, because they go every Friday. Mhm. So there are different opinions about it, about whether women are allowed to go into graveyards. There is an opinion. اشهد ان على So there is a difference between the scholars about women and the permissibility of going to the graveyards. One opinion of some of the scholars is that it is completely forbidden for women to ever go to the graveyards. Uh-huh, Sheikh Bin Baz. And many of the scholars, in fact, these days, they have the opinion that it is completely forbidden for women to go to the graveyards. But there is another opinion, and that's because of the Ahadith. There are Ahadith Laan Allahu Zairat al Ubur, that Allah curses the Lana for the women who visit graveyards. Hadith. That Allah curses the women who visit graveyards. So they said that's it. The ruling in Islam is women do not walk into a graveyard. They do not enter into a graveyard. But there are other scholars who say, actually, it is permissible for women to go to graveyards if it is on a very infrequent basis, meaning every now and again, not regularly at all, not every week, every month at fixed times, every now and again, if a woman went to the graveyard, uh, went to the graves of her relatives, etc. Or, or generally, every now and again, it would be okay. And that's because there's another hadith uh, with the same wording, but a different usage of the word. لَعَنَ zubarat al That Allah curses the women who frequently visit the graveyards. So some scholars said, you've got one hadith saying, Allah curses the women who visit the graveyards General and open Whether it's frequently or now and again But the other narration says Allah curses the women who frequently visit the graveyards So now you have one very open narration And one more restricted narration So in that type of circumstance You use the restricted narration Above the open one to get the final ruling Which would therefore be That women can go to the graveyards occasionally, now and again, but it would be impermissible for them to go regularly. And even if they go on that odd occasion, then with all of the other rules in place, that they are fully covered properly, they do not have uh, any of the the, uh, outward uh, adornment upon them, and that they are emotionally capable of visiting the graveyard. If a woman is unable to control herself at the graveyard, perhaps it was someone extremely beloved, perhaps it was a child, she's unable to control her emotion, and she's going to become uh, highly emotional and maybe screaming or shouting or other affairs. She cannot control her emotions, then it's not permissible either. But if she can and she has the covering and everything and there's no fitna, then it is permissible on the odd occasion, according to some scholars, like a Shaykh al-Albani, rahim Allah ta'ala. The third thing here, Dalilun ala tahrim, nasb, before we get to the third one, the Eid thing. People have this thing that they go on Eid to the graves of their deceased. To such an extent, last Eid or one of the Eids gone by, on my way home from the Eid prayer, driving home, There's a particular road. And the whole road was blocked. We thought maybe there's an accident or something up ahead. The road completely blocked. And it was in the morning, early morning, you've just prayed fajr, you come back, it was a weekend day, no school runs, nothing happening. There was no reason for that road to be completely blocked. Until we realized that this is the road for the main entrance into the graveyard. All of the Muslims from the other mosques after the Eid prayer it is as though like a sunnah for them they were all going into the graveyard all of the road completely blocked as a consequence and it's not a sunnah to do those things it is not a sunnah to specify the visitation of the deceased on Eid day or any other particular specific day and then thirdly, fihi دَلِيلٌ ala that it is impermissible to have any types of figurines or statues or idols that you make or to place anything on top of the graves of that nature. Also, there is a warning against the imitation of the Jews and Christians, a warning in the Hadith, against the imitation of the Jews and the Christians a warning against building on top of the graves a warning and also highlighting that those who make those types of pictures they are from the worst of creation and that will come up in another chapter And we spoke about the Masjid of the Prophet Sallallahu last time but we'll just mention what the Shaykh specifically said a Sheikh Al Fawzan, and we'll conclude upon that for today. He says people still, still have this doubt in their heads that how come the Prophet's grave is now within the walls of Al Masjid Al Nabawi. So now it is in Al Masjid Al Nabawi. So people still bring this type of confusion. The Sheikh says, Sheikh Al Fawzan, إِنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَمْ يُدْفَنْ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ Firstly, the messenger wasn't purposely or intentionally buried in the mosque. He was buried at that location which at the time was his house. إِنَّمَا دُفِنَا فِي بَيْتِهِ خَارِجَ الْمَسْجِدِ وَالْحِكْمَ فِي ذَلِكَ مَا ذَكَرَتْهُ أُمُّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ and the wisdom behind that, as Aisha mentioned, one of the wisdoms in burying him there in the house, concealed from the outside world, from the rest of Medina, was to conceal his grave. So that it would not be a public thing where people could come and make shrines and tombs and do other things with it. Al-Khulafa ar Rashidin And that's how it stayed The Prophet's house Sallallahu Was next to the mosque The wall connected it And the mosque was on the other side And it remained like that During the time of Abu Bakr During the time of Umar During the time of Uthman During the time of Ali They expanded the mosque But other sides And the house remained there And his grave remained there until it came to the time of Al-Walid ibn Abdul Malik, لما أراد أن المسجد من جهة So when it came to the leader Al-Walid ibn Abdul Malik, he wanted to expand the mosque further, and he ended up expanding it to the eastern side as well. As we mentioned, the historians they say Medina in those days was very small. There was only a limited amount of room to expand to the west and to the south, and eventually they couldn't keep knocking one of Medina down. So then this ruler decided we're gonna have to go to the eastern side. that they hadn't touched in all of those years so far. So as a consequence, obviously, the house of the messenger now became within the boundaries of the mosque. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ هَذَا أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ And the scholars, they say that Al-Walid, the ruler at the time there, hadn't done that in consultation with the scholars of the time. Wa inna Al Khalifa Bidun he, the ruler at the time, had done that from his own decision without consulting the people of knowledge. That the house is still upon its original form and upon its boundaries. So, whatever people do now, even if they are making dua, facing it, they aren't doing that in the actual vicinity, in the actual space of the grave. They have no choice but to be stood in the mosque when they are doing that. You can't get into the grave. That's blocked, walled off. The front blocked off you can't get into the grave so if they do anything now it's not at the grave it is in the mosque what they are doing the haram that they are doing is in the mosque and the grave is distanced from them you can't get into it and it is preserved and guarded away from them and you cannot see it directly صلى الله عليه وسلم رَبَّهُ قَالَ اللَّهُمَّ لَا تَجْعَلْ وَآثَنًا And this is why the messenger when he made the dua, O oh Allah do not allow my grave to become some type of idol to be worshipped. And the dua of the messenger was answered. And so his grave was not taken as an idol to be worshipped. And Ibn al-Qayyim he mentioned that the grave فَأَجَابَ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ Ibn al Qayyim mentioned Allah answered the dua of the messenger and surrounded his grave, uh, closed it off with the three walls, and even the front wall, you cannot get into it or see through that. That's where we'll stop on today, then. The next narration, we'll start with that next time, and that next narration uh, talks about another hadith of the messenger that he mentioned. Just prior to his death, in fact, just a few days before his death. Anything to add really quickly, or we conclude upon that? Um, go yeah, These days, uh, after the burial, some people put up their hands and then make dua when they are facing the grave. And sometimes, also, the Imam is there leading the dua. Is this permissible? The Imam is there, he's leading the dua and saying, I mean, I mean, I where in the grave, like after burial. When everyone is Masjid al-Nabawi? No, 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 the no, normal graves. Oh, oh normal graves elsewhere. Yes, oh it's the haram. It's all haram. The Imam, what he's doing is haram. He Imam is going to the grave. Next to the grave? Yes, yes, it's yes, around the grave. He goes there specifically. And he gives a little talk basically. about the banal one, after yeah, after after funeral. Oh, when the burial happens. Yes. No, but you know when the burial happens, it is not a sunnah specifically to do a reminder at the graveyard. There is no sunnah. That you're supposed to do a reminder at the graveyard. The hadith mentions when the messenger was waiting one time, they had to wait. So then he spoke to the companions. But that isn't, sheik al He mentioned, that isn't an evidence that there's a sunnah, you have to do a reminder every time. But if a reminder is done, whilst you're waiting or something, you know, these days the way they do it and everything, if there is some time and you're waiting and there's a reminder done, it's not haram to do a reminder. There's no uh, worship being done there. It's a reminder for the congregation, people who are there. It can be done. But some of the scholars, they mentioned like a Shaykh and a It is not a sunnah that every time you bury somebody, you must do a reminder at the graveyard. There's no sunnah for that. No, you the du'a, well. dua, you do it by yourselves. There is no congregational dua at the grave. Everybody makes their own dua. You make dua for the deceased, ask Allah to make him firm, to uh, give him forgiveness and mercy. Everybody makes their own dua for the deceased. No, no, you make your own du'a. The imam shouldn't be doing it out loud to make it congregational. Alright, we'll conclude upon that next week, inshallah.